0: Welcome to the Brave Feminine Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Hamilton, and I'm on a mission to inspire 100,000 women to be intentional with their career and the next step in their career. And I cannot think of a better guest to join me this morning than Mel Brown. Mel, so lovely to have you with me. Thank you so much for having me. So, let me share your bio in case people haven't had a chance to come across you before. So, Mel Brown's an ex accountant, ex financial advisor, and ex working till she drops. We are so getting into that one, Mel. <laughs> Nowadays, she's a best selling author, financial educator, and a serial entrepreneur who's passionate about helping women, particularly, also live a life by design and not by default. Mel is the CEO of melissabrown.com.au an education business for women who want to financially grow up. She's a director of business at the Long Day Early Learning Community, Thinkers, Inc. And up until she sold the business for seven figures in 2019, she was the CEO of the award-winning accounting and advisory firm ATA, which was Accounting and Taxation Advantage. Mel is also the author of four books, You've Been Busy, The illustrated business book, Money for Shoes, More Money for Shoes, I should say. The coffee table book of financial fairy tales, fabulous but broke. The global bestseller, Unfuck Your Finances and her latest book, Budgets Don't Work, But This Does, which dives further into understanding your money story, money environment and money type. Mel's been featured, written or spoken for everyone from morning TV shows to Triple J to Vogue to CEO magazine and more. Mel, I've got a million questions and I know the audience will too. So I'm feeling the pressure here. Am I going to ask the right question? Oh, God, definitely about don't. You. The pressure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Mel, let's get into your story. Uh, firstly, I've heard you describe yourself as a socially awkward introvert and an accidental entrepreneur. Let's step through that story. And I'd love you to put a lens on it, given both of our focus about helping people become intentional Mm. Um, when did this accidental entrepreneur become intentional? So let's over to you.
1: Mm. Tell us your story. Uh, so I, uh, I'm the firstborn, and I was always the people pleaser. So I'm um, Western suburbs chick, and uh, I didn't really have many role models of women that I was like, wow, that's what I want to be doing. So I just, uh, I, I started studying law from school because I, that's just what smart girls did. And after a few years, I realised that I just didn't like this. Uh, but, of course, I didn't want to let my dad down. So he suggested to me that there's law in accounting, so why don't you do that? He was an accountant. Mm. And if you told my 16-year-old self I was going to end up as an accountant, I think I would be crying in the fetal position <laughs> somewhere. But, yes. you know, that's just the box that I ticked because uh, I was so lost having not, like, law not having worked out. And when I was about 28, I wanted to do some more study and thought I'll just pick up some clients and and do this full-time study. And when I finished that study, I, I realised that I had a bit of a business mm. on my hands um, and it was very much an accidental business. It wasn't one that I intended to start. And it was only when I divorced my first husband at age 33 and it was Uh, For me, I come from that very fundamental Christian background. I knew that my family would probably wouldn't talk to me, um, that it was going to be a massive uh, uh, thing that I've done. Mm. Um, And once I did that, it was almost like I looked at every other part of my life and went, how did I end up in my early 30s just making these decisions to please other people and almost accidentally ended up here? Yes. Yes. So I took a year, I started studying for an MBA, I read everything I could on business, and I realized accounting was just the conduit. I just loved business. And so, and accounting just happened to be the thing that I that I did that via. So I started to where sounds ridiculous, but where would I wanted to work? Um, talk in a language that was very unaccounting-like and really talking about how can you grow your business, not just do your tax? And how can you wealth create and contribute to super, not just look at uh, selling your business one day? Um, And by doing that and by having a different business, it ended up being extraordinarily successful because certainly at the time there was not very many single-owned female uh, accounting firms. And then that led to me putting out my first book, which was More Money for Shoes, and just doing the more that I did intentionally that was different, the more I realized that, ha, huh, I actually have a voice, and I have a way of doing business that's different than other people. Um and this sweet spot that I want to serve, which is women in business particularly, and now is simply women with their finances, I can do that in a way that no one else is doing. Um, and now uh, I am extraordinarily introverted. so, Acting as an accountant as an and as a financial planner where I'm doing one-on-ones all day. I used to be so energetically zapped by the end of the day. Whereas now I run online courses where I get to show up, Mm -hmm. be extraordinarily uh, on for that time that I'm there, be vulnerable, uh, be really connecting and engaging, but then retreat. And I'd be able to just be behind my computer or behind a screen, and I don't have that same energy credits lost. Mm. Uh, so it's there. Ve- it's not a business that existed when I first started out, and whilst it's not a path that i that I saw wanting to be at one day, it's something that's so extraordinarily right for me now. Um, and I look back, and all of the decisions that I made have absolutely led me to here this, to this point now. I just didn't realize it at the
0: time. It's interesting, you know, so a lot of questions about that, but, you know, it's interesting you call out the people pleasing side of it. Mm. How did you,
1: do you still feel that? Or, you know, how did that, oh, that Absolutely, Absolutely. It's less than it was. Um, yeah. And I think there is something about, you know, for me, it was Uh, daughter firstborn and I grew up in quite a volatile household so I just wanted to people please and keep the peace you know for me uh, that's my default position I just want everything to be nice and I want to people please and of course when uh, my when I blew up my first marriage uh, it just I realized I couldn't people please that was to the detriment of my health that was to the detriment of everything Uh, and if I had continued down that path I absolutely know that I would be a shell of a person uh, and definitely not be doing everything that I am now. So I think when I took that step and realized, um, and I didn't just uh, uh, step out the marriage. uh, My ex-husband at the time had said to me, you know, you'll never make it on your own. Mm. So I gave every single dollar uh, from my divorce settlement to charity. You know, I just went back to less than nothing. Stupid decision. Wished I could reverse it the next day, but I think when I took those radical steps, it made me realize: yes, you're never going to to please everyone, and that's okay. The world keeps turning, yeah. um, and you actually find those people who want the best for you. And for me, they're the voices I listen to now. I've got probably a half a dozen girlfriends in business, um, and another half a dozen close friends they're the ones that I will listen to when they say, Hey, Mel, you know, are you going against your values there or is sure that's actually the right path for you. But if someone following me on Insta or if someone uh, that's read a column that I've written with doesn't agree with me, you, you're not, you've got no skin in the game. As Brené says, you're not in the arena. I love um, yeah. So I've, I, absolutely am able to dial it down it's still there like yeah. but if if i equate it it's it's in the back seat it's in the boot mm. um and i get to choose how vocal uh, that voice is they're certainly never in the driver's seat never in the passenger seat with me so Mel, you just
0: mentioned that after your divorce, you donated everything to charity.
1: And I know you said you did mm. it the next day, but tell me about that. What was going on there? Uh, it's really interesting because I've been told by women before, wow, that's such a boss move. And I want to say it really wasn't. It was stupid. And I want to encourage no one to, like, no one should ever do that. Um, but it was that. And I, I tell that story often because I was an accountant. I wasn't a financial advisor at that stage. But I tell it because even money experts can make stupid mistakes too and can be emotional with the mistakes that they make. But I I didn't just give my my, uh, divorce proceeds. I gave every cent in my business and personal bank account because I wanted to start from nothing, which meant no money for a bond, no money for wages, for cash flow, for super, for taxes. And I ended up going into five figures worth of debt to just try and claw back I had to move into a frat house with five friends, which I was grateful for, but it sounds far cuter than it was. It was a moldy basement bedroom that my single bed, you know, a double bed barely fit in. Um, And I remember uh, being at that point going, all my friends are having babies and getting married and buying houses. And here I am someone who helps other business owners with their money. Oh my God, what have I done? Yeah. Um, but that now is part of my story around rebuilding and around being able to come back from less than nothing and understanding when someone says I had to rebuild because of the stupid mistake, I can put hand on heart and go, yeah, I've been there and I've done it. And I know you can too, but I think we're not talking enough about that yeah. sort of thing as women. We just want it all to be nice and together. And we have to show this, I've got it" exterior, um, And we we need to be talking more about it. So, I mean, that's the ultimate back yourself as well, though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I had to because it was either stay in that room with those friends, which was safe and feel really sorry for myself or decide, right, no, not only am I going to be successful business wise, but I want to rebuild financially myself. Um, and I didn't know exactly where I wanted to go. I knew that I had to um, find more income, which meant building my business, um, and that I needed to build assets. So I, I just knew that those were the two things that I needed to get good at.
0: Why financial literacy? And and I've heard mm. you say it's a feminist issue. So why financial literacy? Talk. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, so the stats are in the Western world, uh, less than 48, or 48% or forty-eight of women are financially illiterate, meaning that they can't answer five simple questions about finance. So things like compound interest and, and really simple premises. And part of the reason that I'm really passionate about financial literacy is well, we're living with more and more uncertainty, you know, where it's uh, rising interest rates, rising inflation. There are more and more financial products than ever before. There's more and more financial choices, but more and more we have the ability to really get ourselves into financial trouble. You now, when I first started working, I got a store card and instantly took that to the limit. Now you could have a store card and afterpay and ZipCo and a credit card and a personal loan and a massive mortgage. Like it's so easy to get into trouble. Um, and before, when I, you know, I would have to go to the physical shops. Now I can be home on a Friday night with a glass of wine. Dangerous. Exactly, it's so dangerous. And we don't realise that. We use a lot of these things because we think that's adulting and we think that they're set up to be good for us. When actually a lot of the statistics show that credit, for example, research paper upon research paper shows that we'll spend up to 100% more using credit. Um, Afterpay's own website shows that we spend 40% more and we shop 50% more often. If we are taking ourselves up to the limit with our mortgages, it means we can't afford to invest and people don't realise that you know, all we need is 20 bucks a day invested over 30 years and we've got a million bucks. Like For me, it's these simple premises that if we don't understand, it means we either abdicate to our partners or we're so financially overwhelmed that we just kind of cross our fingers or opt out and hope that we're doing enough. And I believe that it's a feminist issue because too many women are abdicating responsibility to their partners. Or we just think we're not good at at money. And I know that that's true because there's been, again, research done and there was fidelity research done in the States where 93% of men and women surveyed said that uh, women were worse at money than men. And yet a Warwick Business longitudinal study Uh, showed that both men and women outperform the the index, but women outperform the blokes. So we are actually great at this. And part of the reason is financial literacy, but part of the reason that I believe it's a feminist issue as well is, you know, Starling bank uh, did some research where they looked, it was a reading study and they found the media talk to men and women differently. Right. uh, When it comes to money. So. Two thirds of articles directed at men, money makes you more more of a man. Two thirds of articles, up to 90% of articles directed at women, we need to cut back and we're overspending. So we're already receiving these mixed up toxic messages. We already think that we can't do money and we're not great investors. And yet I want to switch that to say, actually, this is BS. And you abdicating financial responsibility or pressing pause is actually dangerous. And I believe that if more women, or if more wealth was in the hands of women, it benefits community, mm. it benefits families, uh, it benefits society as a whole. So that's my TED talk. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> as to why uh, it's, I believe I'm so passionate about this issue, both female financial literacy and uh, that finance is a feminist issue.
0: Mel, I would love your thoughts. I saw, um, I think it's, I think it's everywhere on TikTok at the moment, this whole trend around Mm. girl girl math. Yeah, girl math. So um, tell me about, do you want to explain girl math firstly, in case people haven't come across it? Yeah. Let's just have a chat about that.
1: So it's, it's kind of a cutesy way of describing how we're spending and almost justifying our spending. So it might be cost per wear for some, for a dress that I've bought. So it's not $300. It's hundred bucks because I've worn it three times, or mm. it might be cost per use, but it also could be um, if I don't use my the money in my bank account, it's free. So if I'm using buy now pay later, it's free. It doesn't really cost me anything. Yeah. And I get that we feel as women that we need to justify spending, but I and I'm about to put something out on Instagram uh, this week where I wish we didn't have to. Uh, belittle ourselves. Like I get that it's I get that we're poking fun at ourselves, but I think too many women believe it. So I am introducing girl math for investing. Oh, I love it. So I think, you know, I because we we like this cost per use, cost per wear. I think for every dollar that you spend on clothes or shoes or books or beauty or experiences, whatever your thing is. So for me it's clothes and shoes. So my rule is for every dollar I spend on clothes and shoes, I have to invest a dollar in the share market. Mm-hmm. That way I'm still enjoying today, but I'm also looking after my future self. And that's a version of girl math that I could actually get behind. It's it's spending today and enjoying, but only if I can also afford to invest the same amount in my future self.
0: Can you um, help me understand some of the things that you hear um, when people, you know, first come and work with you or just things you hear people tell themselves about, you know, their their man finances. And I, I yeah. guess part of me that's really keen to understand is why people do, why do we let other people take care of this? A lot of this audience, by the way, mm. are um, even breadwinners in many cases. Um, yeah. A lot of the people. So just
1: tell me about that. What do you hear I hear so many stories. Uh, it's comparison. So I'm not at the age and stage and I don't know how to catch up. Um it's uh it's I just need to, I'm abdicating this to my partner because I just it's too much. You know, I'm already, I'm already doing this. And I might be managing the household finances, but I'm abdicating looking after the family and our future wealth to my partner. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot at the moment of I've I've separated. I didn't see it coming. And now for the first time in my life, I'm actually having to look after myself and I'm petrified or it's, I really would like the choice to leave, but I don't know how, and I don't know how that's possible. And I want to start to create this path so that I have choice. But sadly, one of the things I'm hearing from breadwinners particularly is because um, we know the stats now is that if for every dollar uh, that you earn more than your partner, your your incidence of uh, DV increases or being subject to DV. Wow. So more and more I'm hearing women say my partner will no longer engage with me because they feel emasculated. So this is heterosexual couples. Yes. Yes. I feel they feel emasculated uh, or they just won't engage with me. Or I, I've just had a pay rise and I can't tell them. So I need to start to figure this out for myself. And it has to be away from them. I still want to stay with them, but I cannot engage with finances because they won't engage with me. Uh, So I hear the gamut of stories, as well as some women who are doing extraordinarily well financially and can't share that because they know their friends are struggling and they don't want to look superior or they also Want to be part of that peer group, uh, so they're perhaps playing down uh, how they're how well they're really going, rather than sharing their uh, their experiences.
0: I saw something that you posted the other day that actually I wanted to just read out for the audience because I thought it was so pertinent to all this. It was the one that talked about maths at school and maths in real life. Mm -hmm. So what the post said for the audience was maths at school. uh, If Sarah has three apples and Jason has five, how many apples do they have? And then underneath it, it said maths in real life. If Sarah has no control over family finances and Jason does it all, how screwed is Sarah if they split?
1: Yeah. And I can't tell you how much, how many messages I received as a result of that from women who don't, who don't have, who are essentially screwed because they don't have insight over the finances and now don't know how to bring it up. Right. So I'm just going to ask you while we're on that,
0: because I know that for a lot of women, that's a real, I mean, that's a real trigger point. There's no choice. I now need to take control of my finances and understand. For anyone Mm -hmm. in the
1: audience in that situation right now, where do they start? So it's, it's starting by realizing, I think that you are so capable Um, and, and I've seen it time and time again. So I want to, I want to start by saying that it's, You are so capable, you just don't realise it yet. Mm -hmm. So to really bring that word yet into the equation. But you need to become as interested in your finances as you would for any other part of your life. So it might be as simple as signing up to a podcast that talks about money or starting to read some simple books about money and investing. Um, It might be signing up to a course such as something like my own so that you get that beautiful grounding But before you download an app or and start investing, before you uh, just run and think I just need to bring on debt and buy my own home, it's actually sitting down and looking at where I am now, looking at where I want to be, and what does the that gap look like, and what do I have to get to do to close that gap? Mm -hmm. Because I see too many people either gut reacting in the moment emotionally, kind of like what I did, or Uh, or in a way where in two or three years time, they look back and go, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. But because the financial literacy is low, they actually don't know what they should have done. And that's why in my program, you actually create your own financial plan. And I answer the question, how much is enough? Mm. Because I think too few people know the answer to those sort of things.
0: Mm interesting i want to circle back around to you more personally now and i couldn't help but notice in your bio that you're ex working till she drops
1: mm. so tell
0: me tell me
1: about that yeah i absolutely believed that i needed to hustle for my worthiness back in the day i went from people pleaser to well if people if i'm not going to people please how do i what how do i be like i just don't understand how to live without that as my core value. So part of what I did was to prove to everyone else that I was successful and to prove to everyone else that I was okay. Um, so in that bio, when you said, wow, you know, you've been busy, I was busy. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I think because i chosen not to have kids, I really felt like I couldn't just stop and twiddle my thumbs, I needed to be busier and more successful to prove that that choice meant something. Yes. Whereas now I absolutely reject that notion. And I believe that uh, hustle culture is so detrimental. Um, But that working till I dropped, I worked till I dropped back in the day and I I, uh, very much believe in the power of therapy Um, and speaking to someone to actually learn how to undo those tendencies and those messages that I was carrying around not being enough, Um, which, again, takes some time to unwind and rewrite new stories for yourself. But what I found really interesting was I was doing that in every part of my life. You know, I was doing it and I talk a lot with money that it doesn't operate in a silo. No. How often you behave with money is often how you uh, with exercising or relationships or food um, and that hustling and that working till I dropped, I was doing that in my relationship. to my husband's absolute, like he used to call me relentless. <laughs> mm. And I was, you know, for every part of my life, I was relentless and you just can't keep that up. Um, so <laughs> now- what happened?
0: Did you, would you, did you experience burnout? Absolutely.
1: Okay. Yes. What did that look At- like for you? For me, it it, it looked, so it, it manifested in physical symptoms and I'm holding my neck because I actually got a compressed nerve in my neck mm. um, where I wasn't able to work for three months, but I still did, Yeah, where I remember sitting there uh, at the doctor's, the specialist's office uh, where I was about to get a cortisone injection after not being able to basically move for six weeks and being on Lyrica and Valium and all such and trying to push through all of this still. And the specialist said to me, well, of course, you won't be able to work now for five days. And I laughed at him and went, what do you mean? Like, I don't think you understand. And as those, as I heard them, I'm like, are you kidding me? Yes. Like, seriously, how important do you think you are that you can't stop and look after your own health? Um, and I think that was that come to Jesus moment for me when I was so physically broken. Mm-hmm. And it probably took, I still can't exercise it the at the at what i did before the compressed uh that compressed nerve i've actually had to re really, uh change how i live and that's okay because um, I, I don't want to go at the pace yeah that i was i was working what's that mel in- that was two years before covid right okay yeah And I was working every weekend. I was working really long hours. Like it was, I just tried to cram in as much. And then I was also the person that cancelled on everyone because I was exhausted and I was so depleted. So personally, you know, it was just so unhelpful. See, I looked incredibly successful, but also I look back and it was so unproductive. Mm. There was a lot of creation, but then not a lot of follow through as well. So if I had gone. At a, at a slower pace, created less, but been more focused, uh, then I absolutely would have had a better outcome. I know that.
0: Let me take a brief pause from listening to the podcast for a minute just to check in and see if the conversation's inspiring any new thoughts or any new reflections for you. I hear so often from people in our audience, largely successful and senior professional women, how much they are craving some inspiration into their lives. I would just love to share with you, if you're looking for some, then come and sign up for our Sunday Inspiration email series. You can find a link in the show notes at the end of the show. Now let's get back to the podcast. It's so um, interesting hearing you talk about it, because there's a really common theme through a lot of the people that I interview, you know, incredibly Mm. successful professionals, and then a lot of research around burnout being on the increase. And I think I saw Mm. a report the other day, it was a women's agenda report about, um, I think it was 2023 ambition report. And it talked about 70% of women believe they've experienced burnout in the last Mm. 12 months. And the the question I always want to ask people with this, Mel, and it's, Obviously you love what you do. Yeah. So it's mm. it's um, you know, sometimes you possibly don't even consider it working because you're really drawn to, you know, and I can tell there's a real genuine passion behind everything that you do.
1: Mm. How do you stop yourself? You know, like
0: how yeah. do you
1: now do that? So what it's looked like now is I've had to hire and I've had to outsource. Cause I think the problem with a lot of successful women is where generalists and we're we're great at what we do and we want it all to be done well so we think the best thing for that is just to do it ourselves yes uh so for me it's meant hiring and outsourcing because i want to grow my business uh and quite uh, quickly and if i want to do that i i just can't and i don't i choose not to go at the pace yes. that is necessary for that yeah um so as a result of that i have to hire and bring people in because to your point, I do love what I do. I want to have longevity with it. And the only way I can have that is by making sure I'm not creatively exhausted.
0: So I talk a lot about people building sustainable careers, and and I can Mm. tell that this is what you're doing. But it's so fascinating to me that when I think about I talk about leadership and you talk about money. There's Mm. so many things that are in common with that. And so, you know, if I throw a few of these out there and I think they'll spark some conversation points for us. One is about self-awareness. You have to know yourself Mm. as a leader. So, and I want to get into the money types that you talk about. Um, Staying curious and Mm. not judging others and yourself. You know, curiosity as a leader is massive. Discipline. You know, you've got to be so
1: unsexy, you know, so necessary, so unsexy. <laughs> I think it's the most boring
0: thing. It's the most boring thing I ever learned as a leader is that yep. I have to actually be disciplined. Like how yep. does not come naturally. It
1: yep. Yeah,
0: and limiting beliefs. So mm. if I just put those out there for you, let's just that could be a financial
1: program. Yep. Correct. So absolutely, let's,
0: just, let's talk about that. Let's talk mm. about money types and those
1: sorts of things. Yeah, so when you said know who you are, I think that's the most important thing that you can do when it comes to your finances. So I believe it's both nature and nurture. So mm-hmm. I think you need to understand your money story. And that might be the story you've picked up from your parents or society at large. Um, and or the, even the media or your peers. So things, part of my money story was around what good girls do um, and nice girls do. Yes. Uh, but also that Western suburbs Mental mentality of this is this is what's probably i'm capable of and no more so you mm-hmm. know i'm not quite enough uh because of my experiences because of where i where i live because of my social pools etc and it's such bs um that it that for me it's it's a rewriting of that but it's also no, uh, nature so i'm an introvert you know i Wake up with my five gold coins. Every time I have a social interaction, I lose one in the day with uh, very depleted energy credits. I can force that mm. and I can be situationally extroverted, but I'm going to end up in a place of burnout. Mm. So it's the same with your finances. It's understanding your you or your partner are potentially not bad at money. They just do money differently than you, which is where that curiosity also comes into, oh, well, I wonder how, how are they do it and I wonder what their story is and their money type so the four different money types I believe there are the worker which is all about you know the worker is the sort of person that is they just want to get on with it and they're perpetually frustrated that others are doing better but not working as hard mm-hmm. um the relator which is all about networks and social um and having that real emotional connection to what you do uh the the creator, which is the discerner, it's that strategic thinking, uh, but you also have that paralysis by analysis uh, issue to really work against you, uh, and then finally the creator, which words like manifesting uh, are just going to be par for the course with them. You know, woo woo is your love language, yes. And for you, it's just that the danger that you get stuck in mindset and you're not actually able to move out to the practical. But I see a lot of couples where potentially they think their partner is doing money wrong as I said mm. but actually they're just doing money in a way that's uh, authentic to their money type and their money story they just don't realize that so you can then come rather than come at a place of angst and anger even to a place of curiosity around huh what's your money type what's your money story wow you just do and think so much differently than me. Mm. So how can we both feel safe and seen in this relationship rather than uh, just be combative? Reminds me of probably the
0: first step in the process. My husband and I saw a, well, we have a financial planner, but we saw a financial Mm. planner together probably about 15 years ago now. And one of the first things that he did with us was actually got both of us to write down, it was a whole series of sort of values-based oh, questions. I love that. And even now um, with the financial planner um, that we work with today, always it's about questions around our risk profiles and things like that as well. And we do have very different mm-hmm. risk profiles.
1: Yeah. And if you don't understand that about each other, that's when frustrations come in uh, and the fights come in. But once you do understand that, it then becomes that commonality around, huh, and again, going back, uh, Melissa, to that, oh, like to our very beginning of our chat, financial literacy is low, uh, men and women are spoken too differently about, about this. There's so many reasons why this can be combative in relationships, particularly with heterosexual couples, um, that we want to make sure we understand who we are. mm So,
0: okay, Um, I wanted to ask now about um, are there myths we need to bust for people here? Like if there were two or three big myths, what would that Uh, be? Absolutely.
1: Uh, One is that financial adulting is owning your own home, uh, where that absolutely is not true. Uh, Home ownership may be right for some people, but more and more it's not right for everyone. Um, And we see that with the rise of the FIRE movement um, and even rent vesting, and knowing that there's so many different avenues that we can have property ownership that's not necessarily home. Mm. Uh, but even the myth that uh, in around debt and the fact that you should pay off your mortgage and then start investing versus, uh, and I think in the financial world there's a lot of you got to do this yes. or this. Yes. Uh, whereas for me, it's uh, we need to bring the word and into the financial world. So it might be having a home or an investment property, paying that off, maybe at an extra 1% and investing so that you're starting to build wealth. And uh, there's an old adage that you can't eat your house. Uh, So this concept of just paying down your mortgage is the smartest approach is actually not necessarily true. Mm. Uh, I remember being given that advice Along. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and it
0: feels so, um, actually the own your own home thing feels so Australian almost, doesn't so it? Oh, Australian. Is it, is it
1: particular to us? Look, at, uh, we obviously have people all over the world uh, in <laughs> our program and definitely there's some similarities with the UK and different ones, but I think it's a very Australian uh, yes. uh, want. You know, I've got uh, people in uh, that I know from France. It's just not such a thing. With them uh so it's not i feel like in europe it's just not as as tightly held but certainly yeah. in australia it's almost a badge of honor not just to buy your own home but you know i want to i want to hold the the deeds to my own house mm. why yeah, <laughs> yeah. So i think people need to be comfortable with maybe having a mortgage still on retirement is that the worst thing could you not grab your super at that point and pay off the debt if you've been contributing extra to super which is potentially better tax-wise for you mm. there's so many strategies you can employ simply laser focusing on paying off your your, your house is not necessarily the smartest
0: mm. now a lot of this audience is working in male dominated industries and and you certainly uh created a business in a male dominated industry what's mm. a, what were there
1: experiences about being female in the industry that stand oh, for you? So many. Um, so in accounting conferences, it was often uh, presumed that it was my dad's firm because I was 28, right. tall, blonde, uh, and I looked young. So the presumption was this is not your firm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really thrive on competition, so I loved that I would put myself into you know, entrepreneur's organisation or uh, different male-dominated environments because I knew that would spark that competitive flair. But I found the financial advice were probably the worst for it. Mm. Um, I remember the very first conference we ever went to, uh, and I won't mention the group, um, but a rape joke was told from stage, and I'm talking maybe a decade ago, like potentially even less. And I, uh, so I'm a survivor, and I just, Remember sitting there, being like the blood draining from my face, and Lawsy who at uh, is my employee, just put a hand on my arm and and just went, "Let's just take a breath," and because yeah. uh, we were really new to the group, and we walked out from that. And I remember we grabbed the CEO after and so said, "We need to have a conversation about what just happened because that's that's not acceptable." And I found it really fascinating that they didn't. See that as problematic. It was it's just, you know, it's a bit of fun. Yeah, we're like we need to talk to you about why this is not fun and why this is not okay. Yeah. Um. So just those really inappropriate behaviour and, and assumptions mm-hmm. that just I we all, we all consistently uh, thought that we were BDMs, so we were business development managers. Never. Business owners, you no. know, it was just that everyday sexism. But also that those big glaring moments, we just went, oh, really still?
0: So do you Um, do you think of yourself as feminist? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. um, it's interesting. I'd love your perspective on this. So for the first time the other day, someone said um, and it was it was their male leader who was sort of making the comment to them talking about working with me. And the male leader said, oh, I'm not sure you're gonna like that. I think she's a feminist. No, <laughs> I've never felt prouder, to be honest with you. But yeah. <laughs> wow. There's still a rub. There's still
1: yes. yeah, is a rub around that. Do you hear that? Yeah, look, I think I th- I think with younger women, no. But all oh, having said that, I think that there's a but why do we need to call ourselves feminism? feminist almost. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely see like if I look at my dad's uh, generation he absolutely sees that as problematic that mm-hmm. word whereas mm-hmm. I simply see it as equality like mm-hmm. I, I cannot understand the problem with the word. I know some incredible male leaders who are feminist. Yes yeah absolutely my husband's a feminist totally yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah yeah it's incredible so so what's the best financial advice you ever received along the way? Uh,
1: probably it was from a, a man and I can't I, I, for the life I can I've absolutely blanked his name, Uh, but it was from many, many years ago. It was a passing comment that he made, don't uh, put your money in the bank, buy the bank. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just remember thinking at the time, it it just really challenged me uh, when he said that. I am thinking, huh, and I'd never share invested. I think I was in my young 20s. It must have been someone at the bank when I was working there. Um, and And it really sparked that starting to look at share investing and starting to understand that. Rather than, so now, you know, Commonwealth Bank announced a $10 billion profit in Australia uh, this month. And part of me went, oh, just ridiculous profits and they need to be doing more. And yet the shareholder in me went, huh, well, that'll be a nice dividend. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> excellent. So what's,
0: you know, two questions for you now, Mel. What's next for you? Um uh-
1: yeah. So next for me is very much about uh, we've now that I know that what I'm doing is a real business, which I've mm-hmm. got to be honest, took me a few years to realize that we've got 3000 people that have been through my course. Now we really want to supercharge it. We want to turbocharge it um, because I be- I've i seen the results that we have. I've seen yeah. the change and the transformation. So we want to, uh, we're in a hiring frenzy, Um, And we're really looking to turbocharge the results that we have and the number of people that we have going through our program, which I'm incredibly excited by.
0: Fantastic. And I know you and I had a a conversation before this about I'm so excited that you are running that program. I can't tell you how Mm. important I think that is um, broadly. And, um, you know, I shared my business partner has a finance course that really focuses on a different space. It really focuses on... leaders and how do they get right under the profit and loss and how do they drive change and lead change and sit at the table with the CFOs without sweaty palms um because for me I'm all about inspiring them hopefully to step towards CEO that might not be yes. the bank I might need to lift my sights that might not be <laughs> the bank enough <laughs> as CEO so um Top five tips for people. You know, they finish listening to this
1: podcast today. What are the five mm. things that they should do immediately? So, I think if you're not already doing it, start add a podcast, a finance podcast into into the mix of everything else. It might be mine, which is the Money. It might be the Australian Finance Podcast, which Owen uh, does a great job over at Rask. But start actually just in the same way we want to ha- eat leafy greens each day. Mm. We just want to make sure that in our ears we're having that great money diet. Um, the, so that would be one. Two would be uh, start looking at some free stuff. There's so many free resources that are out there, including I've got some free training coming up called My Money Hit, um, I T that you can take a look at. But start to engage with finances in a way that's different mm. so that you can realise that you can actually do that. Mm-hmm. threes if you've never done it before go and look at what you're earning so pull out a payslip go and look at your business finances and actually realize what money have you got coming in and i'm betting that for some people that will make them feel a bit sick when they realize wow this uh, this is what i've earned so far and yet where is it yeah four is i really want you to look at what's going out so go back for a few months and start to understand. I don't want to budget, but just get an an idea of what am I spending on the big the big tickets, my mortgage, school fees, food. Um, how much does it cost me to leave the lights on? So in the same way, you're doing that mm. with uh, understanding business finance, understand the 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 business finances of your household, if yes. you like. And then fifth is we want to understand investing, but before we get there, what are you excited about? Because it's one thing to invest, but unless we've got a goal, it's just like saying, you, I want you to leave the house and start running and I'll tell you when to stop. Mm-hmm. Well, how fast do I run? Uh, how do I know what gear to wear? Uh, do, what speed do I go at? Uh, how how am I going to be motivated just to be running incessantly? So I'm a fan of thinking about your next significant birthday and thinking about what you'd like your life to look like and what finances would be supporting that what income streams would you have uh what assets might you have uh, and then figuring out then you can figure out from there well, what does the next 12 months need to look like so it's almost doing what I imagine a lot of your listeners do for businesses yes. applying those same amazing business principles to you to your money yes and giving yourself choices yes Absolutely. Because people think there's one way to do money. Uh, so Lawsie and I, who both uh, run the pro, uh, my program together, is all about building assets. Mm. I'm all about building income streams. Mm. Um, and I don't care the dollars of the assets behind that. So there's so many ways to do it. It's working out what's right for you, but working out you can have so much choice uh, in how you do it and where you go.
0: Thank you for leading these conversations. They're so important. The final question, Mel, that uh, you know I ask everybody is: from your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership mean, and do you think it needs to change?
1: I think brave feminine leadership is being vulnerable enough to lead. Where it's where you, it is being feminine. I love that that word's in there. I think that. Certainly what I used to do was to try and emasculate myself Mm -hmm. and think that strong leadership meant that I actually had to remove emotion, almost needed to remove the value part of who I was. Whereas for me, brave feminine leadership is leading with that authentic place, leading with my values, being prepared to have the hard conversations and having them early, but doing them in a way that sees the other person. Um, I think it can be, I think brave feminine leadership is doing it sustainably. So doing it in a way where it's good for people, good for planets and good for profits. Because if we look across the ditch to people like Jacinda Ardern and other leaders in in office, they've been able to hold though that really beautifully and still be feminine without feeling like they need to armour up. Mm. Um, so for me, I want to do all of that and do it in a killer outfit and heels as well. (laughs) Oh, I love that so much. Thank you
0: so much for spending one of your very precious gold coins with me today. You're very welcome. I've loved our conversation. Yeah, it's been wonderful to have you join us. And that was the end of another podcast conversation. So thank you so much for listening to the episode today. I often hear from leaders who felt inspired by the conversations and are ready to put themselves first. And so I wanted to take a brief moment just to share how I've helped hundreds of women just like you become crystal clear on the exact steps they should be following right now to lead an intentional and sustainable life without second-guessing themselves so that they can maximise their influence influence and impact. I've put some details into the show notes and there's a link there where you can find out some more about our signature Elevate and Influence program. While you're there, take the time to sign up for our Sunday Inspiration email series. Have a brilliant day.